Paul, it is an honor to have you on today on The Green Room. I genuinely, genuinely can't wait to dig into this episode with you. Um, We've had a couple of conversations already, and this whole intersection of NFTs and carbon offsets, it just just blows my mind, and I'm sure the audience is going to be ready to hear it, especially since I believe you guys just closed a brand new funding round. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm really excited about that. Oh, I just want to say I'm excited. This is like our third attempt at doing this <laughs> because the first time you were sick and then the second time I was sick. So we're finally making this happen. Uh, I'm really glad about that. Um, we're, we didn't give it to each other. Um, yeah, we are. Uh, yeah, Nori is uh, announcing uh, that we have just raised a $7 million funding round uh, being led by a really awesome venture fund called M13. Okay. Which I'm really excited about. Uh, and then uh, also brought in some of our previous investors. We also had a really fantastic corporate investor uh, from Toyota uh, who chose to invest in this round, which is, I, I think, kind of here's what's interesting about them. They're responsible as a company for 2% of all greenhouse gas emissions, not just globally. auto manufacturers, globally. And they're investing out of a climate-specific fund uh, at Toyota Ventures that's investing in companies that are d- going to be building carbon removal solutions. And we'll, we'll talk about that and how that could feed into our marketplace. So I'm really excited to have uh, their, their backing in this as well. That's insane. And congratulations, $7 million. That shows market signal that uh, you guys are on a rocket ship growing. Um, and I think everyone would, uh, that hasn't heard about Nori yet, um, that might be watching this episode. Why don't you give a little bit of context on, uh, what Nori is, what you guys do, and, uh, maybe even a little bit of a quick background on yourself. Um, because I know I want to dig into that a little bit more with you. Yeah. Um, well, okay. I'll, I'll start with my background because it leads into it. Um, I studied computer engineering in school and when I was in grad school in 2010, I learned about Bitcoin for the first time. Uh, I had a professor who uh, was teaching us about market trading stuff and he used that as an example. And I was very much in a mindset of like Ron Paul, audit the Fed, monetary policy kind of uh, wonkiness. And so I got really excited. I went home and read the white paper and was like, oh boy, this is the, like, this, this is a solution to a lot of different things. So I got really excited about crypto back then. And then I moved to Seattle. I was working mostly as a product manager uh, at different agencies, building mobile apps for uh, big Fortune 500 brands. And I got kind of bored with consulting. And in 2015, I started thinking about what I could work on and start that would be more impactful. And climate change seemed like kind of an obvious choice because, of course, more people are going to care about that in the future. And I thought it would attract a lot of really talented people to want to work with me. And because I'm an engineer, I was thinking about it from that sort of uh, lens. And like climate change is a lot more straightforward than people really think it is. Like we've, we've put too much carbon up in the air, right? So why don't we just pull all that carbon back out? <laughs> That's it. That's the solution. That's the fix. Uh, we, we need to stop uh, emitting or decarbonize as much as we can of the economy. Uh, but then we need to remove the rest and we need to remove a lot of the past emissions that we've already put up Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, it turns out that there are a lot of different ways to do so. More nature-based solutions like uh, regenerative farming, uh, storing carbon in soils, planting trees, kelp farming, blue carbon stuff. And then there are industrial applications like uh, direct air capture and um, uh, storing like carbon negative cement, construction materials, and that kind of thing. A lot of different ways, to, uh, but none of these are happening at any uh, reasonably uh, useful scale right. yet. And so I, start, I started a meetup group in Seattle uh, to meet other people interested in this, to find other co-founders. And what was kind of weird was we very quickly met basically every other group in the world that was working on this because there were only three or four. And so this is very early days for carbon removal. And uh, by the end of 2016, we started to realize that what I just described, that there are a lot of different ways to pull carbon out of the air. Uh, and what was missing is a financial incentive to do so. Because if we want to get a large amount of people to do something, then the easiest and fastest way to do that is to pay them. Yeah. Uh, it was at the end of 2016 that we also started to see the rise of tokenization happening in the Ethereum space. Right. 
And that was really the light bulb moment for me that like, oh, here's this technology thing that I'm really passionate about uh, and have had these like two parallel tracks in my life for like six or seven years. Uh, why don't we put these together? Because we can create a tokenized economy that's built around incentivizing people to pull carbon out of the air. So that was kind of the genesis uh, for what would eventually become Nori. Uh, in the summer of 2017, um, my co-founders and I pulled together a team of people and we entered and won the blockchain for social impact hackathon and we won, uh, that would, and then we decided to found a company. Okay. So what Nori is, is a carbon removal marketplace where buyers and sellers can transact in carbon removal that's been measured and verified through some pretty transparent processes. And, uh, we've been doing that for a few years. Uh, so that was 2017, the company's about four years old now. And uh, we are, uh, we've, we've basically proven our concept out. We've sold, uh, I think, probably by the time this airs, about 60,000 tons of CO2, uh, over 800, maybe $900,000 uh, paid out to farmers for sequestering that carbon. And um, what we're working on next is the like crypto piece. Uh, we've basically decided to get the carbon side of the business working first, and then we'll be launching this uh, cryptocurrency to act as the price discovery mechanism, because I think that's actually really the most important piece of what we're doing. Okay, so there's there's a lot to unpack in that in that uh, yeah. in that what, story. What, what thread do you want to pull on? I, I think the I think the most interesting thing to start with is a bit understanding as to why you need to exist. Because when we look at the carbon offsets market um, or the voluntary mar uh, offsets marketplace or anything in this space is generally really paper pencils still stuck in the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you can argue that, hey, I, I guess there doesn't need to be efficiencies. But carbon offsets as a as a sector of climate has been ridiculed previously and people are well aware of the challenges in this space. What specific mm -hmm. problem are you guys pulling on? Because obviously you have companies like Pachama that verify that a tree is planting and actually sequestering carbon using their satellites. You have a group like Patch, which is providing automation in a sense for purchasing a carbon offset through APIs. Mm -hmm. Where does Nori play into in this large marketplace or this umbrella that is classified as just carbon offsets marketplace? And what are you guys specifically yeah. focused on solving? Well, there are three specific problems that we're trying to solve. And I would first start by saying that using the term carbon market is kind of a misnomer okay. because there is no such thing today. Okay. Um, when, when, uh, if we talk about other commodities, which carbon is and should be considered, uh, there are, there are pretty clear markets for them. Right. We know what the price of a bushel of corn or a barrel of oil is. And we know that because there are spot markets and there are forward markets and there are futures markets and all of these prices are interacting with each other. And so it's uh, pretty clear and straightforward uh, to anyone who's working in the commodities industry to understand not only what the value of that uh, is, that product is today, but uh, they could forecast and do analysis on what that's going to be like in the future. Hmm. There is no such infrastructure for carbon today. And that's th that's a real problem because if we want to scale up the amount of supply of carbon removal available, which is the key constraint here, then that's the infrastructure that needs to be uh, built and met. So uh, hmm. let's, let's break that down. No one knows what the price of carbon is or right. should be. And the reason that we don't know that is because the transactions that uh, happen between buyers who are buying carbon offsets and, and project developers who are doing those are all happening in private ways. And the, so the way that this whole industry works and has evolved in the past is uh, there are a handful of different registries that exist, like Vera, Gold Standard, Climate Action Reserve. They've been around for like 15 or 20 years or so. They're all nonprofits. Their revenue comes from uh, fees that they charge on the supply side. So registration fees, listing fees, transaction fees, and often consulting fees because uh, many times there have to be uh, custom protocols developed in order to do the measurement and verification of those products. Okay. 
So if you're a project developer and you want to do carbon offsetting, you're looking at something like can range from thirty to a hundred thousand uh, dollars just to get your project listed. That's not including your capex or your opex for actually doing the project. Uh, so that that's a big barrier to entry. And the ways that and that's um, before they uh, get a project. customer signed up for yeah yeah okay yeah and and in practice. So this has evolved over the last 15 or 20 years, and it, it, it's, it's very bespoke. And so if you're a project developer doing that, you end up working with uh, most of the time brokers mm -hmm. who are going to help find buyers for you. Okay. And uh, a lot of like an ideal scenario, if you're a project developer, is you find your buyer before you even do the project right. and you get them to help finance all of this upfront cost. Right. And then you engage in like a long-term, maybe five, 10, 20 year in uh, offtake agreement with that long-term buyer. The buyer likes that because they're getting price predictability, they're getting supply predictability, um, but it's it's very bespoke and it's very expensive and the transaction costs are extremely high. So only the deep-pocketed project developers and only uh, very um, deep-pocketed buyers are able to transact. This does not scale. So if you look at a company like Microsoft, for instance, they've been buying offsets, I believe, since 2012. And the, the way that they would do that is they would uh, they have an internal team, they would work with consultants, and then work with brokers who are going to source for them high-quality offset projects, big air quotes. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the reasons that they're looking for quality is because as a buyer, you are... Uh, not protected in any way from what you purchase. You bear all of the liability. So let's say you buy a forestry project and, uh, and like the way forestry projects work is they are ex ante. So uh, you are saying, I'm going to plant this forest of trees in a forestation project. And then we're going to calculate out what's the total amount of carbon that we expect to be sequestered over the next 100 years. And then we can, we're going to collapse that number down to 20 years. And then that's the, the credits that I'm going to generate. So 20 years of carbon credits for carbon that we expect to be stored in the future. Okay. So it's buying futures. So you, you sell that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is different depending on the type of offset. There are, I should back up, I guess, a little bit and say that there are offsets are, there are avoidance and reduction projects that are avoiding and reducing future emissions. And then there are carbon removal projects that are removing Drawdown. past emissions that are already up in the air. Forestry is an example of Drawdown. a removal project. Uh, and what we do at Nori is removal and soil carbon sequestration. So if you're a buyer, uh, you're a big company enterprise and you're, uh, you're buying forestry credits. What happens if in 25 years that forest burns down? I, I guess you as a buyer now have to reinvest all the same dollars you did before to get, I guess you probably have to hire the verification yeah. agency, which is hundred K 30 to hundred K. You probably still have to front all the same amount of capital to, unless the, well, if the buyer is assuming all the risk, then technically they have to put up all the money to replant every single tree. They just need to go buy new carbon. Uh, yeah, they would probably not necessarily do it with the same project, but they would just, like, they're out of luck. Like, the carbon that they paid for is no longer it's just lost. sequestered. It's just lost. Um, the way that these registries try to deal with that concept is they set aside a buffer pool. So... Uh, uh, X amount of carbon removed or sequestered, and then they'll take 20% of that and they'll put that into a buffer pool. And they'll say, if there is some sort of loss, then we'll retire new carbon credits on your behalf uh, to make up for that. But if the loss is greater than 20%, then it's a total loss. Uh, so because of that risk, and uh, I have been told this by uh, sustainability directors at very large companies. So like their biggest concern is having some reporter show up and say, hey, did you, did you know that the carbon that you paid for is no longer there? And this has happened lots of times. There have been many different high profile uh, uh, pieces that have come out in the last few years around fraudulent or just misreported uh, carbon offset projects. So that's a big fear that they and have. There's the financial liability and there's the press liability. Uh, so if that's the case, then 
if you're going to be engaging and buy like buying carbon offsets is like a risky endeavor right. <laughs> uh because you, uh would it <laughs> what's worse the uh, just not doing anything at all or getting slammed in the press for greenwashing and pretending that you were doing something like because that's how they would characterize oh. it so if you're if you're a big enterprise company you have to put an enormous amount of effort into diligence on a project which again adds up to significant uh, transaction costs that make it so that these transactions do not happen at any large or significant scale. Oh. So that's a that's a liability and insurance problem. Uh, and then uh, there are um, the, the the two other problems are well I already described the pricing problem is that no one knows really what this price should be. And then the third problem is a double counting issue. So the history of carbon credits is uh it goes back to like the kyoto protocol right. in 1997 so every country except for the us uh every major country um signed up for this and the idea was that developed countries would pay developing countries for their carbon assets because it was, it was an acknowledgement that like we're developed because we burned a lot of fossil fuels to, and generated all the energy to get to this point so who are we to say to a developing country that no you're not allowed to use as much energy and uh, reach the same you know quality of living standards that we right. have um in practice though it ended up being uh private entities organizations buying and selling carbon credits and then countries just kind of taking credit for that at the top and then in 2015 that all changed so now with Paris, every single country has their own emissions reductions target, uh, including the developing countries. And it is still the case today that every single carbon credit that has been sold across international borders has been counted more than once. So if a project happens in Brazil, like a forestry preservation project, and then that credit gets certified by one of the registries and then they, it gets sold to a buyer in France, both Brazil and France count that as an emissions reduction. Brazil says, hey, this took place inside of our borders, so we get to count that. And then France says, yeah, but someone imported it into, imported the credit, so we get to count that as well. And then the, the like really pernicious part is carbon credits can trade many times. And the, the intent was for um, creating a, a tradable commodity asset to deal with that pricing problem I was describing. Right. That's a good intention. But, uh, and then there's this concept in carbon markets of uh, retirement of the carbon, which is to say, I'm going to take final credit uh, for this. I'm never going to resell this. Uh, I'm going to tell the registry, which the registries are basically just a database of serial numbers that they get reported to manually. I'll tell the registry, I'm going to retire this and take final credit. Um, but until that happens, the carbon credit is trading over and over and over again. And so and that actually creates a really this, like, painful hard... accounting problem, because if you're trading that, does that mean yes. if you already reported it for the year before, then that reporting reported number is inaccurate, which is why it should be probably retired as soon as a single transaction occurs? Uh, yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, uh, but uh, politically, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, the, the solution to this is double entry bookkeeping. Mm. But they don't do it uh, because uh, basically Brazil has been blocking this at the international level. Um, the next COP meeting, um, whenever this airs, it's either happening or happening soon right. or has happened recently. Uh, is like this is how, how do the question of how do you enforce Article Six of the Paris Accord? It's been an open question since 2015, and they're at a political stalemate about it. Basically, because Brazil is sitting on a mountain of carbon assets, and they don't want to not get credit for right. it. Um, but your conclusion is the same conclusion that we came to, which is to say, if we're going to be really serious about dealing with climate change and removing 1.5 trillion tons of CO2, which is what needs to happen in order to get back to 300 parts per million, then we should be designing our system so that every new dollar spent on carbon results in net new carbon coming out of the air, which means the carbon should be immediately retired. It should not be resold. And that should be enforced at like the protocol level, not just like giving the buyer the option to do it. No one should trade carbon. Like, I, let me repeat that very clearly. Carbon should not be traded because it, it also exposes all sorts of opportunities for fraud. Um, so there was an example of the Chicago Climate Exchange, which was a, a pretty large and decent attempt at building a soil carbon sequestration market about 10 okay. years ago. 10 to 15 years ago. And it was primarily Midwest farmers in the U.S. who were doing these regenerative practices. And um, what happened was uh, 
you would get related entities who were doing off-book swaps with each other, where they're, uh, they're, they're saying, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to sell you 100,000 tons at $1 a piece, but we're going to market to market on our books at whatever the prevailing market price is, so $14 or so. So we're telling the market that we're trading at $14 a ton, but we're actually only trading at $1 a ton. And this is happening off book. It's not transparent. Well, the, the market volume that analysts are looking at and this, that traders are looking at is false. Uh, this is cooking the books. And so the, the market eventually collapsed in on itself because there was not actual real significant demand at the prices that people thought there was. So there's a transparency issue here as well. So what we're doing is, you know, you named a few companies that you could consider competitors or like future collaborators. It, it kind of depends right. um, on, on how you look at it. Uh, I think we're all pretty, like, we're all on team reversing climate change right. here. So like everyone merges into the next Microsoft. How about that? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And that's what we want to be. So, um, so what they're doing is they're, they're, they're figuring out different ways to transact in carbon, which is good. Um, we're not trying to be just another carbon credit transaction company. Got it. Our, our real purpose and the thing that we're providing to the market is the transparent open source price discovery mechanism for this. So we're trying to build a global commodities market for carbon removal and building the carbon infrastructure that, uh, or the financial infrastructure that makes it possible for large scale carbon removal. Hmm. And then these other, these other, um, carbon companies like the ones you've named could just be transacting using the infrastructure that we've built. So we've gone to market. Uh, we've been around for four years. As I mentioned, we've gone to market by focusing on the carbon side of the business, proving out that we have the ability to measure and verify the carbon sold. And the product that we sell, the Nori removal ton or NRT is, I mean, if you're a customer buying from Nori or Pachama or Patch, like you're buying basically the same thing. I mean, we can, we can like quibble over small details here, but like it's more or less the same thing. Sure. Um, but what we're doing that's different is we don't work with the existing registries because we compete with them because we're saying like fundamentally their model does not work for scaling carbon removal. They put way too many fees on the supply side and they don't enforce immediate retirement and they have no incentive to change that at all. So what So you're what replacing the registry. Yes, we're replacing the registry. It, like this, this should be an end-to-end -end solution uh, where people who remove carbon can sell it through Nori. People who want to buy carbon can buy it through Nori. But we're also providing the commodities trading infrastructure and then leveraging uh, like Web3 and DeFi tools uh, for scale. So in our marketplace, uh, what happens is... Uh, the suppliers um, have to conform to a transparent methodology that we publish. And this is done in a generalizable way. So we're not doing like very specific custom protocols like the way the registries do. We're saying, here's a large scale, high level standard. If you can conform to this, then you're good. And then we'll do, uh, quantification will happen and then you'll pay for verification. But because of this like large scale thing, we're able to use software to dramatically reduce the cost that people have to pay for verification. So we've reduced the verification cost by like 90%. It's on a typical project basis with farmers, it's like three to $5,000. Okay. That's it. That's all that they pay. We don't charge them any fees. Our revenue comes from the demand side where buyers are paying a 15% transaction fee uh, for buying the NRTs. So that goes through measure quantification and then verification where a third party verifier uh, who is accredited and whitelisted by us is doing an audit on the data that the suppliers provide to us. They sign off on that and then we're able to issue the NRTs and they can be sold to buyers. Hmm. Today, that uh, that price being paid is set arbitrarily by the farmer. So we've been doing our go to market was like, let's get the carbon side working first and just have this arbitrary pricing. So it's been $15 per ton. Uh, you can go to nori.com slash registry and you can look at every single transaction that's ever taken place. Uh, and you can see where in the world this, this has been retired. Um, 
and uh, and then when buyers buy the NRTs, they have to tell us where they are retiring them. So going back to that double counting thing for Paris, it's trivially simple uh, for us because the carbon gets retired immediately, and they have to tell us where it is. So that's the country that gets to take credit. Period. In the mm. story. So if it's a Brazilian forest that issued the NRT in this case, transacted on the Nori marketplace, because you're using, I'd assume, NFTs fundamentally for... Yes, the uh, the, the NRT, the Nori removal ton, is actually an okay. NRT um, that's recorded on chain. So it goes into the buyer's wallet and then is made non-transferable and is there. And forever. because of the... Burned, basically. So it's like a gas fee for those who are crypto nerds, like with Ethereum. Sure. The the transaction fee that yeah. they pay for our revenue? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So that, that ends up simplifying and making sure that that information is public, publicly available to everyone. Brazil, I assume then in that case, could in theory be the transactor or the or the supplier of those carbon assets which means they can still generate revenue um because individuals are purchasing it but it's retired in brazil so i i think i'm still trying to understand the 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 demand side so let's say i'm microsoft or i'm some company the impact let's say i want to go on the nori marketplace and i want to now purchase an nrt which is fundamentally an NFT. I'm trying to offset our carbon footprint for this year. And that means that equates to 15 NRTs that are coming from a reforestation effort in Brazil. At that point, I'd go online. I would purchase these 15 NRTs. Brazil would take credit for the carbon reduction or would I, as the impact or Microsoft, at that point receive you. that, but it was retired in Brazil? So Brazil, I no, it's retired wherever you okay. are. Okay, so the U.S. in this case would take credit. We get to okay, take credit. Yep. and Brazil receives cash compensation for creating that. Well, the not the country, but the, the supplier counts in their GDP, but but the the supplier, right. yeah, which is a typically a. Right, a private entity in Brazil that that provided that supply. Yeah. Okay, so that makes actually a lot of sense because it seems like the registries then might actually be the bottleneck in this marketplace. (laughs) They are the problem. Yes, that is correct. Uh, That's the issue. And then the, the thing is, like, every... there There's a lot of attention on carbon. Right Absolutely. Now, right? Like there's enormous amounts of uh, venture capital pouring into the space. We've got um, large scale policy groups at the international level, like the task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets. Um, there's all this attention, but none of them are questioning the underlying fundamental problems or that the bottlenecks that these registries put in place. Uh, Nori is the only company out there that is implementing this separation of the carbon and the tradable commodity asset. Like that's the real solution to these problems. And so that's why it's so uh, like our next milestone of uh, launching the cryptocurrency and enabling the price discovery to happen through that is so critically important. Got it. And and I, I so I understand now the registry issue and I, that's an opportunity that you guys are capitalizing on. And I'm actually surprised no one else has taken a look at it. And it's amazing how that times up with the, the, the meteoric kind of popularity that crypto as a space or blockchain technology as a space has had recently. I, I think my major, well, go ahead. I, I, I think. I mean, the reason no one else is doing it is because it's really hard. Like, it's taken us four years to get to this point, right? And there are a lot of other, um, like, we don't have a direct competitor, but we have competition in different, like, lenses. Uh, And there are, like, lots of new crypto projects that are tokenizing existing carbon credits. But there's a carbon credits that are coming out of these registries. So they're always going to have a supply bottleneck. Because uh, the problem is the... The, the registry it isn't necessarily the, crypto yeah, fun- use being used for right. the transaction it's the registry yeah it's not about the the sales channels that's not the that's not the problem right. here uh the problem is how the supply is generated where the supply comes from and uh and how we remove barriers to entry for the supply yeah and because you're driving the the price down and and i 
I believe you mentioned you're only focused on agriculture right now or soil carbon for now. For now. Uh, for, for now. So, so we're agnostic to different methods of removal. It's just that uh, when it comes to, I, I mentioned that we're doing these like high level methodologies and anyone, I mean, you can go to nori.com, I think slash documents and see the, the methodology that hmm. we use. It's all public. Um, soil carbon, like the TAM for this is like 5 billion tons per year, uh, that could be removed. It's, it's enormous. Okay. And it also benefits from all the tailwinds of having the entire food and agriculture industry pushing in that direction as well. So, uh, th that's a really good place to start. Um, but we're agnostic. We want to support forestry and kelp farming and direct air capture and carbon negative cement and so on. We just don't have anything happening at any reasonable scale. And it's also uh, because you guys are the those. new verification entity. I, I believe you guys yeah. have to spend yeah. time, money, resources on developing a right. real verification process that the community would be willing to back. Except, yes, that's, that's precisely. And if, if that's the case, then when we look into this space, because there's limited supply regardless of how you look at it because you can't resell these assets is is that how you are setting a price on these nfts like is it is it like going on OpenSea today and saying oh i want a, a crypto punk and then everyone just bids like crazy until it sells at some point or is there a more complex financial system you built here to determine the actual price of that carbon there is something more complex. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's dig in. So what we're, what we're doing is, um, creating a medium of exchange token. Okay. Uh, so we separate it. So there's the NRT, that's the carbon. And then there's the Nori token. Okay. And the price of one NRT will always be one Nori. Okay. But that Nori price will fluctuate based on supply and demand. And how does that price fluctuation occur so there's a limited amount yeah, of nori the then i that? imagine yeah. that's right yeah so there'll be 500 million okay. nori minted uh in a, in a pre-minting mm -hmm. and it, uh we describe in our white paper on our website um we wrote that white paper about three years ago um it's still mostly up to date we have plans to publish some new materials about okay. this um but basically 500 million that will continue to circulate Think of the Nori, like you, if you hold a Nori, you have not paid for carbon yet. You're holding a gift card to buy okay. carbon. When you do use it to buy an NRT, then the NRT comes to your wallet and is basically burned. And then the Nori is not burned. It goes to the supplier, the farmer in this case. And then the supplier could uh, hold on to it if they think that the price will appreciate. Uh, or they could sell it. We've actually had farmers coming to us and saying, hey, you know, there's so much hype around carbon markets right now. Uh, can we just do the verification, but then not sell my NRTs? Uh, because I think they'll be worth more in the future. Hmm. And our response is like, no, 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 don't do that. Because buyers care about buying more recent vintage carbon. Like there's a there's always a vintage associated with carbon okay. offsets. Um, so they don't want to buy carbon from 10 years ago. They want to buy it from like right now or, or really okay. recently. So if you're a or farmer, you should, and you think the price will be higher in the future, you should sell your NRTs immediately and then just hold on to the Nori token. Just don't sell okay. it. Um, and then, and then play that market. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing here is that we've also introduced an insurance mechanism or a warranty, which as I was describing earlier, like if you're buying forestry credits and that forest burns down, it's like you're screwed. Right. Um, in our case, what you're buying is uh, one NRT, we're introducing a concept, um, and we're not the first ones to say this, um, NCX is also uh, advocating for something like this, uh, but a, a ton year concept. So uh, one NRT is 10 ton years. Okay. Uh, when you buy an NRT, Nori is providing a warranty that that carbon will stay removed for at least 10 years. Now, it's, it's uh, not very likely that that carbon would be released after 10 years, and I can describe why in a sure. second, but like, we'll actually back up a warranty. And those farmers have to continue verifying throughout this process. So what they're doing is they sign up for a 10-year contract that they're going to keep that carbon in the ground, and then they have to re-verify that every three okay. years. 
at the three at every verification event now they've been removing more carbon as well and then they sign a new 10-year contract for those nrts so they're getting a continuous revenue stream uh every three years or so and then they're continually incentivized to keep that carbon in the ground so it starts out as 10 years of permanence but it kind of ends up becoming 13 and then 16 and then 19 and so on this is we believe that this is a fundamentally better design that is more likely to keep carbon in the ground then the current status quo the way these registries do it is they just put they just slap like a 100 year covenant on it and say look if you're going to sell these carbon credits you got to keep that carbon out of the air for 100 years how many businesses are you aware of today that um are still uh, operating from 100 years years old (laughs) i think i think walmart might be near the 100 are they it's a teeny tiny number. Yeah. Uh, not that many. So like on the face of it, we can see that this is kind of absurd. Uh, and it also, uh, especially for farmers, like trying to get farmers to commit to 100 years, it's hard enough to get them to commit to 10 years. So uh, no, it's just not feasible. And- so the way that we do that, that warranty is when the farmer gets paid, uh, say they remove 100 tons. So they sell 100 NRTs. They receive 100 nori. And then some portion of those say, uh, this is a a design thing that we haven't um, decided yet. We'll be publishing this when it when we do. Uh, But say say 40% of the tokens are held back over that 10 year contract term. Okay. So they're they're like locked up, they're restricted. And then they'll vest into them as they continue to go through verification. If we discover at the next verification that there was some sort of carbon loss, okay. uh, whether through uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally or or anything like that, we will claw back those restricted tokens and then use those to go buy new carbon, new NRTs from some other supplier, and deliver those to the original buyer. And it's important that we do this with a token and not with cash, because if the carbon price fluctuates over time, it doesn't matter with the token. One token always buys one ton. Uh, But if we were to hold back cash and then the carbon price were to increase in the future, then we wouldn't be able to buy as much carbon as we Mm. need. Okay. And because the farmer is expecting these tokens each year to be issued once they pass verification, when those carbon offsets are purchased... If for whatever reason, natural disaster, whatever it might be, and I'm, I'm sure there's a way for the supplier to probably buy insurance on their supply as well eventually. Um, but yeah, so the way that we do the measurement with soil is we're measuring how much carbon they're storing relative to what would have happened on that land if they had continued with conventional practices. Okay. So they're not necessarily punished for like a natural disaster sure. like that. Um, but we're rewarding the increase in incremental carbon stocks because of the practice changes that okay. made, which is the ad- additionality test that people. Okay, so it's it's for whatever they have actually physically sequestered based on what would have happened right. that year. So in, in that in yeah. that sense, then that that might that, that makes it even simpler in my eyes now. Effectively, what you're saying is, hey, these nori tokens are always worth one ton. The the token fluctuates in value because it's a limited pool of it. And the more and more people that want to buy these um, NRTs through your verification um, company or Nori in this case, or the Nori marketplace, at this point, if there are more people that want to buy carbon offsets, then there are Nori tokens. Then the, the price of a Nori token is just going to skyrocket. But on the flip side, if the demand for carbon offsets reduces, then which I I guess is a is a win in a sense. If we get to that one edge case situation where everyone's like, yeah, we've already drawed everything down and we're clean. Not that that utopia is coming, um, but in that event, then the price of a Nori token goes down. But because you guys are issuing yeah. these in tranches in a way to these suppliers. It provides you the leverage to now go to other alternative suppliers and draw that down. And because you're using crypto or blockchain in this sense, it, it provides the transparency to the public that, hey, here's how much has actually been drawn down every single year so that you don't have the double counting issue. You don't have the uh, resale issue or the incorrect uh, accounting or fraudulent practices that have happened in many previous marketplace attempts. 
So you're bringing in those benefits into this space, and that's how price is also being determined. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. I, I, I really... I'm really fascinated by specifically the the strategy to replace the entire verification agency more so than the side of trying to connect a supplier to a buyer. And the reason I'm trying to kind of dig on that a little bit more is what provides the additional trust? Because these verification agencies, they've been operating for, I don't know, what, 10, 20 years at least? What yeah. provides Microsoft or, because now small, mid-sized businesses are also getting into this space, what provides right. anyone the trust saying that, hey, you know what, Nori is doing everything end-to-end. -end. Yeah, I can read their white paper and so on and so forth. There's always that... There are objections and fear that people have of being the first mm -hmm. one to try a new marketplace. What's giving people yeah. that trust to decide that, hey, you know what? The old way isn't the way to go. We should be working with Paul and his team at Nori. It's transparency. It's by far the most important thing in this space. You can't see carbon. You can't smell it. So we have to be able to model it and measure it in other ways. And... This was a problem that we recognized when we got started. So I mentioned that hackathon that we did to before we founded the company. And one of the assets that we produced for that was the first episode of our, our own podcast called Reversing Climate Change. So uh, we, we recognized that there was going to need to be a lot of education in this space. Hmm. And then one of the first things that we did in the spring of 2018 was we held a conference called Reverse of Palooza, <laughs> where we brought together about 100 different... Um, there were farmers and ranchers, scientists, uh, sustainability directors, um, people just kind of generally interested in this space. And that was when we presented our vision for what we thought was possible. And by the way, th like this was before carbon removal became a thing that people talked about. Uh, that didn't happen until the fall of 18 when the IPCC report that mentioned it uh, came out. So we were out there trying to say like, hey guys, like let's talk about carbon removal. This, this is a big deal. And very possible. Uh, so we've been building a large and loyal uh, community of people who are interested in this space and who have been following along. And um, a lot of times we've uh, there have been several occasions where we've made um, big sales to uh, big enterprise customers who started out where it was an individual inside that company who bought their own carbon from Nori. Maybe they were following along with the podcast. Hmm. So it's like sometimes I get asked the question, what, why do this differently from the registries or like, why not get certified by the registries? And I'll say, well, there's, there's really no difference between us. Uh, we do a lot of the same things. We publish our documents in a very similar way. They've just been around longer than we have. That's it. Um, there are a number of different sort of gatekeepers that exist out there. These are different bodies that um, try to distill the complexities of this down for big enterprise customers to understand better. And we just engage with them and we show Got our it. work. Uh, th so that's it. Yeah, show your work. It's that simple, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that I kind of find interesting, especially with your recent fundraising round, is it, it seems like the market's starting to actually pay attention now. Um, and, and the transparency question, we saw that with Pachama, with verification of forestry projects. We're now seeing with you um, and Nori the transparency side towards the actual transactions and verifications that are happening for in this for right now at least agriculture or soil based drawdown techniques so it, it seems yeah. like that as as you kind of highlighted in the early part is the biggest problem that you guys are addressing what what does success look like for you guys over the next year and if you're a founder or an investor that's trying to get into this space and just wrap their head around all the moving parts. What do you think the opportunities are? What should we be keeping an eye out for? And what should we be watching for is, is really the broad question that I'd love mm -hmm. to close on. Over the next year or so, the, the next big milestone is getting the token launched and uh, getting past the point where the price of the NRTs is being set arbitrarily and having it rather be set by market-driven economics. Okay. 
and um, we're going to be growing a lot, so uh, we should have by now uh, a bunch of job description stuff on our page. So uh, go to nori.com slash careers uh, for anyone who's interested in that. Uh, the, the, the other sort of big thing we'll be figuring out how we create like a scalable process for adding new methodologies. Like we basically want people to propose methodologies to us. So we're trying to take like open source software thinking to this <laughs> and saying, uh, we'll have people propose them to us and then they'll, we'll put them through some sort of peer review process. We do have an oversight board um, who of uh, different experts in different fields who are kind of reviewing these things as they come in. And, uh, and then we'll start adding additional methodologies uh, beyond just soil carbon as well. Um, so for people who want to get involved in the space, I would say uh, a lot of different ways. Um, if you're coming from like a Web3 DeFi background, uh, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to dig into there when it comes to the Nori token and how that creates incentives for carbon removal. Uh, if you are coming from like a hard science background, well, like start a carbon removal company. There are lots of different ways to do it. And like, it, if we're successful, then we should be making it much more clear. And, um, like if you want to start a carbon removal company today, it's really difficult to forecast and do analysis on like what, what you, your potential re return could be in the future. Like, how do you plan ahead for what price you could receive for selling your carbon products? Right. We want to make that simpler and more transparent for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that's, that's what I would say, uh, that the next year will be fun and exciting uh, over the next like five to 10 years, I would say our, our objectives are just to see more and more carbon, uh, being transacted through Nori. Um, so getting to the point of millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions and getting to that first like billion tons, I think is a realistic goal, um, over the next decade or so, uh, at, at a going beyond just nori at like a planetary scale like really people should be uh, if i can uh soapbox for a moment i think people put way way too much emphasis on the concept of permanence which is like how long the carbon is going to come out of the air that's not the problem i would so much rather remove uh 100 million tons for 10 years than i would 10 million tons for 100 years because speed's the name of the game because the carbon pro Speed is the, yes, speed is exactly at the carbon problem is today, not in a hundred years. Uh, so at, at a planetary scale, we need to be building like a metaphorical carbon removal factory that's capable of removing between 50 to 100 billion tons of CO2 every single year. And that's, that need is never going to go away either. Um, we're never going to fully decarbonize like the energy density of fossil fuels is too useful. Um, so we just need to get to a point where we reach some sort of like happy equilibrium and we're just more or less like gardening the carbon cycle, uh, for forever. And, and that's, I, I think very achievable, uh, within this century. So that's, that's where we're trying to get to. Uh, that's, the and, goal. and I don't, I don't think it can be put any, any way better. Um, purely because we're trying to solve problems that uh, we need to resolve by 2035, 2040, worst case, um, which means we have to scale up solutions that are ready to scale today, not something ready to scale in 10 right. years. Not that we shouldn't be investing in those as well, but they'll all come along. It's yeah. <laughs> It's got to be an all hands on deck kind of solution where we're prioritizing the quickest impact. We got to treat this like a startup. That's what we got to do. <laughs> the MVP Correct. is shipping and starting to draw yeah. down carbon today, not 10 years from now. Um, so so when, you, when you put it that way, it's really a coordination problem, right? right? Like climate change has always, has always been a coordination problem. And from a Hayekian perspective, what's the best way to coordinate people? Price. Prices, prices are information, and that's what makes the economy run. So that's why what we're doing is fundamentally building the price discovery mechanism. That is the most important missing piece in here. And in order to do so, we have to go you know, beyond and disrupt the registries and everything that I just described. Like That's the most important. Yeah, because piece. if there's no way to define what the price is, then no one knows what the point of building or doing their carbon yes. reduction process or drawdown project actually is worth. And... Yeah, we can find ways to repurpose captured carbon, like what uh, 12 or Opus, yeah, Opus 12 is now 12, like they're doing with direct air capture, or there's, you know, small nonprofits that are starting to grow um, 
that are working on biomass storage. And then you mentioned kelp. All of these are great technologies or approaches or solutions that might actually draw down carbon that's significant enough. But they don't know what they're getting in return for capturing that carbon. There's there's almost no reason to do it or you're just not going to get investment from anyone unless there's a happy-go-lucky right. billionaire that's Fuck. wanting to donate a ton of money to you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, exactly. What we're trying to do is build systems that invites more and more capital into the space because that's what's missing. Uh, and the more capital is there is, the more opportunity there is for profit, and the more opportunity there is for profit, the more carbon that's going to get removed, and the faster we solve this problem. It's solving the marketplace question. You're you're making it easy yes. for supply to enter in because the demand is there. All the major corporations are globally are looking to make purchases. It's just at this point in time, we need more supply entering into the market and we need a fair price put on those pieces of or on those carbon assets or those drawdown assets that are being introduced. I'm excited, man. (laughs) I'm excited to see where this thing goes. Um, I I guess then in in closing, I want to give you the platform to be as selfish as you would like i would love for you to shout out your podcast job opportunities you've already touched on those things Uh but the floor is yours if anyone wanted to follow along further follow or reach out to nori for jobs customer whatever it might be what should people do um because you've educated me at least and i hope a couple of people in the audience at least Good. Um, so we have two podcasts. The first one is called Reversing Climate Change, and that's more of a longer form interview format with different people working in the space uh, around carbon removal. Uh, and then the other one is called Carbon Removal Newsroom, which is more current events based and is kind of a panel discussion around like what's happening in the latest in carbon removal. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, at Nori, N-O-R-I, and uh, you can follow me at, at Paul Gamble, uh, P-A-U-L-G-A-M-B-I-L-L, um, where I'm often talking about uh, the intersection of crypto and climate change and um, all the fun stuff that's happening there. And, uh, and then check out our blog because we, we publish a lot. There is a lot, a lot of content out there. Uh, we're very much a publishing culture here at Nori. Beautiful. And then lastly, if this if this stuff is interesting to you, if you want to be part of the team that's – you want to be a Nori knot and you want to be part of the team that's helping reverse climate change, go to nori.com slash careers. Um, we should have a bunch of job posts up there now ranging from – like we definitely need a lot of engineers, but there's some leadership-level positions. Um, there are some more entry-level positions. So um, go take a look at nori.com slash careers. Beautiful. And uh, I'll leave Awesome. Nori knots. I, I hope that's the sales pitch that gets everyone in. Not not the all good climate stuff, but Nori knots. I want that title now. <laughs> yeah, we give everyone like a, a big helmet when you when you walk in the door. No, no we, don't. we don't actually do that. <laughs> Great use of funds. But uh, <laughs> with that being said, yeah. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to have you in the future as uh, Nori continues to blow up the entire verification space and uh, actually deliver a real climate impact. Well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are listening on Spotify, please make sure to add this to your favorite episodes And also consider sharing it on social. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review with uh, your thoughts from this episode. And of course, to also share and subscribe to this show. The Green Room is brought to you by The Impact. There's a free newsletter that you can find on readtheimpact.com, which shares plenty of insights, as well as brand new startups that we're finding that are pre-Series A, which could be opportunities for you, your fund, or potential co-founders to really want to check out and learn from. So with that being said, this is Swarnov Espajari from The Impact. It's been great to have you, and I'll see you in the next one.